Welcome to the Sword and the Trowel, a podcast of Founders Ministries. Founders Ministries exists for the recovery of the gospel and the reformation of churches. My name is Jared Longshore. And my name is Tom Askell. That's right. You're a little slow on the draw there, Tom. I had to remember who I was. That takes some time at your age. You know, I, I, yeah, <laughs> it does. But, I, you know, I, I, I've been identified in so many different ways, I get confused. <laughs> well, this one's also a little... Different for us because we're not in the same place. Um, yeah, I feel sorry for you about that. By the way, I'm talking in a phone and you're talking in a phone, and we're in different states and all that. Yeah, I'm in the state of Aggie Land. Aggie Land. I'm still in the great yeah. state of Florida. So you're in the uh, great state of Florida, but I am in the Promised Land. The Promised Land, flowing with milk and honey and maroon. Well, hey, we want to talk again. We want to talk about this statement on social justice and the gospel. We've been working our way through it and encouraged that some people have been saying it's helpful. So hopefully it will continue to be helpful. And we're looking at Article 4 today, a very important article, right? One that we think is really at the heart of a lot of what's going on concerning the the, uh, misunderstandings concerning justice. That's Article 4, God's Law. Before we even get into reading the affirmation, Tom, God's law seems to be a central truth to a lot of the confusion and conversation that's going on today. Why is that? Well, there's a lot of confusion between law and gospel on both the right and the left. So it's easy to fall into legalism on the one hand, antinomianism on the other hand. And, and it seems like in some conservative evangelical circles that uh, there's almost a, a fear of talking about law because the, the fear is that we will undermine God's grace by doing so. But we've got to remember that the same God who gave us the gospel in Jesus Christ also gave us the law. And he cares as much about his law as he does his gospel. And so while it's true, we never look to the law to make us right with God. The law was never given to make sinners right with God. We are to look to the law as a manifestation of God's will, what God wants, what God requires of us. And we ought to see in the moral law a transcript of his very character. I love what John Newton said about this. He wrote, ignorance of the nature and design of the law is at the bottom of most religious mistakes. This is the root of self-righteousness, the grand reason why the gospel of Christ is no more regarded. And the cause of that uncertainty and inconsistency in many, who though they profess themselves teachers, understand not what they say, nor whereof they affirm. Mm. Very important doctrine the who is that southern presbyterian that said the gospel is always crucified between two thieves legalism on the one hand and antinomianism on the other remember who that yeah, was i don't remember man you've told me about it. i know we talked about it but that's <laughs> that a really back good in my book. younger days that was back in your younger days and then uh law is important on so many levels understanding the function of the law in the christian life but it's not something that we obey in order to be justified, but having been justified, we do uphold the law. As the Apostle Paul says in Romans or Romans 7, where he says the law is spiritual and good, and mm-hmm. that it's something that we ought to uh, obey, joyfully so, empowered by the Spirit. Um, and then you got uh, Sinclair Ferguson and uh, is it Whole Christ uh, regarding the, the marriage Christ, right. controversy. And he, I remember a great quote in there. He quotes someone, I can't remember who it is, might be Gerhardus Voss, I'm not sure. But he 
he says that uh, there is a type of legalism that's a peculiar kind of obedience to God's law, that kind of obedience that has lost the sense or, or the, the, um, the, the loving father behind that mm. law. I had like a cold obedience to the law. That was very helpful to me when I think about the dangers of legalism. You can be a legalist yeah. by adding to God's law. You can be a legalist uh, by trying to obey God's law in order to get right with him, to be justified by him. But I liked that quote because it opened up a new sense. You might be square on those two fronts, but you can also fall into legalism uh, by simply forgetting that this is this is your father's law. This yeah. is the father who loves you and having that sense of his loving care behind it. Um, so, boys, there's just so many important things to talk about when we think about God's law, especially as it relates to justice. I think, you know, if you're going to have a conversation about justice, you're really going to have to get squared up on God's law. Absolutely. And that's where so much of the difficulty is in our day with people who are championing what they call justice. And it seems like it is completely disconnected to what God has revealed to be just. And in one sense, I think it's a wonderful pathway into evangelism. You know, you want justice. Well, let's talk about it. Uh, just according to what? According to what mm -hmm. standard? According to God's standard. He has a good standard. And let's talk about his standards. What does he require of man? I mean, we could walk right into so many good conversations um, given what we're facing. But I think Christians got to start thinking, you know, God's law is not only something for Christians to keep. It, he is creator of all, and he has a moral, eternal law that is for all human beings to obey, and we should put that forth and really opens us up to having conversations about Christ. Absolutely, and this, this feeds right into the threefold use of the law uh, that our confession and other confessions acknowledge as well, that the law is given for the conviction of sin, and so it is useful in evangelism for that to show us what we need to be saved from, why we need to be saved. But it's also used for, is useful for restraining sin in society by declaring that which our Creator requires of all His creatures, and where that law is recognized and held high, it does uh, have an effect in society to restrain sin, and we're mm -hmm. seeing the the disillusion of that in our American society as we become increasingly lawless. But then that third use of the law that you articulated earlier, that it gives, it's for Christians to tell us what our heavenly father uh, wants, what his will is for us. So we don't keep the law in order to make God pleased with us, but because God is pleased with us in his son, we desire to do his will and he has revealed his will in his commandments. Yeah, I remember, uh, we, I think we have an article on founders.org called Avoid Legalism, uh, Emphasize the Law, <laughs> That's or, right. yeah, Focus on the Law. I remember, I, you know, I've got a lot of friends that are kind of in the New Covenant camps and the various shades of that camp, and even um, I remember coming to uh, understanding of Ten Commandments, understanding of the role of the law in the Christian life, this third use of the law. And this struck me as I began to talk to guys that are thinking correctly about the law of God. I remembered folks wanting to say, oh, they're a little, you know, they're a little legalistic. They're still holding up those Ten Commandments. Hey, who is it? Hello. How you doing? 
Hey, there's some downsides. We got somebody calling some... in on the, found, on the, on the truth thing. <laughs> on the podcast. What's the name of this podcast again? Sword and Trowel Podcast? That's Who right. Is Who is there's it? A, there's a downside to sitting next to the modem in this house. Oh, nice. <laughs> nice. Well, we'll press right on where I was at. I was, I was unspooling that glorious truth that those who are committed to the law of God who are saying, I'm not going to go around telling you sh- you should do things that are not revealed in the word of God and the law of God. Don't be dropping shoulds on people mm-hmm. if, if you're not emphasizing law. And it, I can I can see how sometimes if folks minimize the law, say, you know, don't worry about it so much. Don't worry about it so much. Even they talk a lot about grace, a lot about grace. All of a sudden, there's all these kind of weird shoulds that are popping out. Like, where do these things come from? That's right. Yeah. No, you cannot live without law. Nobody can live without standards. Uh, and this is one of Jay Gresham Machen's uh, notes on this in his book, what, it, what is Faith? It just explains it so well. He writes, a new and more powerful proclamation of the law is perhaps the most pressing need of the hour. Mm-hmm. Men would have little difficulty with the gospel if they'd only learned the lesson of the law. And then he goes on. So it always is a low view of law always brings legalism in religion. A high view of law makes a man a seeker after grace. Pray that the high view may again prevail because if we're we're not going to use God's law, we're going to make up our own and we're going to fall right into legalism. Yeah. Uh, we would probably recommend Ernie Reisinger's uh, Law and Gospel, right? That's right, a book that founders will be republishing, God willing, in 2019. Very good. Well, we can finally get around to the affirmation, if that's okay with you, Tom. Yeah, there is one. We ought to read it before we close. All right. We affirm that God's law, as summarized in the Ten Commandments, more succinctly summarized in the two great commandments and manifested in Jesus Christ— is the only standard of unchanging righteousness. Violation of that law is what constitutes sin. Yeah, that seems pretty straightforward to me. Um, One of the problems that we're having today is that people want to manufacture sin. And so they accuse people of failure to be what God's called us to be or having to do things in order to be what God's called us to be without any reference to what God actually commands or forbids. And so this statement is just trying to clarify uh, who it is that has the authority to determine what is right and wrong. And if you cannot make a judgment based upon what God has revealed in his Ten Commandments or in the Two Commandments or that is manifested in Christ, then don't go around accusing people of sin. I know of a case where uh, a guy went before a civil magistrate once and said, you know, um, I'm trying to press charges against this gal because she bothers me. <laughs> and the judge yeah. said, uh, what has she done? Uh, she bothers me, you know. <laughs> well, we need to make sure there's a violation before we talk about uh, that deal. So violation yeah. of the law is very important that uh, – we keep that before us, right? Yeah, we, we could hope for that kind of wisdom to prevail in our churches. Yeah. The denial, we deny that any obligation that does not arise from God's commandments can be legitimately imposed on Christians as a prescription for righteous living. We further deny the legitimacy of any charge of sin or call to repentance that does not arise from a violation of God's commandments. That's right. 
and this, if we would live this way, it would keep us from manipulating people and being manipulated by people of you owe me or you should or you ought when God has not spoken. So it's it's just a very clear um, reverse or backside closing the door of what's affirmed in the, the first paragraph. Okay, the book that we want to talk about today is a classic in my estimation. It's uh, a book written by Jerry Bridges called Trusting God Even When Life Hurts. And I don't remember when this book originally came out, but it's been a long time ago. It has to be 20 years ago uh, at least. Uh, I remember that uh, this book came across uh, my desk. Shortly after it came out, I read it, I devoured it. I kept it on my bedside table for at least two years and would just read in it regularly because it's so simple and so clear. Uh, Jerry Bridges is a a fascinating writer, a very clear, simple writer. He was a great gift to the church, and I've benefited tremendously from his writings. This particular book, when Hurricane Andrew blew through Cape Coral, uh, actually across the south of southern part of Florida it started on the east coast and came across just south of us near Naples. Uh, there were, you know, it was a lot of devastation. I think it was 1995, somewhere around there. Our church bought 2,000 copies of these books and gave them away uh, to folks who had been just devastated by the hurricane mm-hmm. and, and put one in pastors' libraries that had been affected and with some other books and things. But I bet you our church has probably purchased four to 5,000 copies of these books through the years and give them out. It's the kind of book you can leave uh, on the the kitchen table of anybody, whether they're Christian or not, and they can read it. It's simple to understand, not not that it doesn't deal with profound topics, but it's just so winsome. And Jerry Bridges writes very uh, pastorally. He just writes like he's a, a, a neighbor who's coming over to your house to see how you're doing. Mm. So I love this book, man. What and would you th- say is like one of the the main best points, truths that you've taken from this book. Yeah. Well, what he, what he does, he takes three truths about God and weaves them together. So God is absolutely sovereign. God is always good. And God is infinitely wise. And those three uh, characteristics of God are what make him trustworthy. And so he just goes through the scripture and shows, you know, how God's sovereignty is manifested in the way he deals with people, how he deals with nations, nature. Um, he, he addresses the question of, OK, well, if God's sovereign then how can we be responsible in you know, that age old debate? But he does mm-hmm. it in, in such a humble, winsome way that shows that, yeah, our responsibility is not lessened one iota by God's meticulous sovereignty over everything that he has created. Then he shows us what the Bible says about God's goodness and how you know God's given up his son. I mean, in the Lord Jesus, we have no reason to doubt the goodness of God. If he would sacrifice his own son for sinners, then he certainly has demonstrated his love and goodness and then his wisdom that he always does the best thing in the best way. So he's trustworthy. Of course, all of this comes to sharp focus in the cross and we see the the power, the sovereignty, the the goodness and wisdom of God just 
put on full display in the sufferings of our Lord. So that's that to me, this little book is a uh, it's, it's almost like a handbook of theology, but it's so practical. It's addressing things that everyone who stays alive very long in this world is going to face. So I highly mm. recommend it. Mm. Good. Well, in our final little segment here, Tom, we want to talk about God's law. Our goal is to talk about various commandments. We've decided to start with the Ten Commandments, and we're working our way through them. And today we want to talk about the Fifth Commandment. Do what your mom and dad say. Bam. (laughs) That's the Jared Longshore cracker edition, right? That's the way way we we break it down from where I'm from. Um, Exodus chapter 20, verse 12 says, Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Is that a good commandment? Sounds good to me now that I'm a father. Wasn't so good (laughs) when I was a child. (laughs) Oh, now that I got some cheering. That's right. So, uh, of course, it's a good commandment, man. You got six kids. You just had your six. So why don't you speak to this as a father who's in the process? Oh, man, I pressed Exodus 20. 12 on those juggers all the time, all the time. Um, now, I, it is a good word, isn't it? That we should honor father and mother, that we should render them the respect, the reverence that they are due. I um, should do that, and then my children should do that. And what strikes me about the uh, fifth commandment, and especially how it seems to be important today, is that it directly regards authority. Now, certainly all the commandments do um, concern the authority of God over us, but this one not only concerns honoring father and mother, it does that, but also all lawful authorities that are established by God in the world, trying to see that God has established a uh, hierarchical world, that it's not an egalitarian or flat world. And therefore, we ought to be ready to obey our authorities if they're calling us to do things that are lawful. Just that way of thinking is huge today. And trying to press upon our children and press upon our congregation, uh, other brothers and sisters in Christ, that we can trust God as he has established these authorities over us. Surely, if our authorities are telling us to do something sinful, then we don't obey. We must obey God rather than men. Uh, But if these authorities are calling us to do things that are lawful, calling us to do things that are not uh, in contradiction to what God has commanded us, then it's a matter of trusting uh, God as we obey the fifth. So the default mode then for children with parents should be to obey. Is that right? That's right. Okay. So what if uh, you're a 12-year-old and your dad... Uh, tells you to steal some things from the store. Can't do it. Can't do it. The twelve-year-old is obligated not to do it. No, nope, because can't do it. Yeah, the God who gave the commandment is over the the parents that are given to the child. That's right. Yeah, I think you're right about authority, and it's something we desperately need in our day that um, people tend to chafe against this any idea that. There is an inferior, superior relationship anywhere in the world can Mm. be offensive to folks. And yet God has clearly established superiors and inferiors. I'm not talking about value of people or personhood, 
talking about role, responsibility, and authority. And this commandment gets right at that. I remember, uh, we're not trained to think this way growing up in our uh, highly individualistic culture. You know, this kind of, um, this the humanism is so huge in our day that yeah. we're just growing up in a culture like this. I remember sitting, listening to Ted Tripp speak, and he was doing his parenting deal with Shepherding Child's Heart and all that. I highly recommend that book. And he mentioned this about, you know, we don't live in a, in a egalitarian world, right. but there is hierarchy and God has established this. And he said, if you're in a, living in an egalitarian system, if that's the way that you think, he said, the only way that a person would say that another can have authority over him, it would be, he would say, is if you're stronger than me. Right. Because we're in an egalitarian system here. So if you're stronger than me, then you can have authority over me. Or if I let you have authority over me, you know, then you Mm -hmm. can then you can do it. And he just said, that's just a wrong worldview. We we need to say God has established this and we're submitting to his authority and the way that he has structured the world. And that blew my mind. I remember thinking, Mm -hmm. oh, yeah, I've been thinking egalitarian along those lines. And I don't just mean male, female when I'm using that egalitarian word there. I just mean, it's just kind of the way I viewed the world and really didn't even know it. I just had some of those presuppositions. Yeah. And I think because that's true, one of the greatest gifts that parents can give to their children is teaching them this lesson. I would encourage all parents for to teach their children, the very first Bible verses to teach your children, Ephesians 6, 1 and 2, children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Honor your father and your mother. I mean, that let your children know that God has put them under authority. God gave the children parents, and the children have responsibility to obey their parents. That's If they get that, then you'll be more able to teach them other things they need to get on in life. Yeah, that Ephesians 6 1 is so powerful on a number of planes. I think, obey your parents and Lord, and then the phrase, for this is right. The, the, for the simple reason that this is mm-hmm. right. This is, yeah. it, it's also got that uh, flavor of authority that God has established this. this. This is his word. This is what's true. And it requires humility to say, yes, this is right. I'll do it. But not only that, then you've also got obey your parents in the Lord, right. which is different than if you were just to say, obey your parents, you're doing this in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a matter of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ who has given you the parents that you have and um, needs to be, you need to obey them while trusting the Lord. You need to obey them while remembering uh, who the Lord is and what the Lord has done and all of the implications of that for your life. So trying to, we, we try to draw those things out as we encourage our children with Ephesians 6.1. Amen. If you start there, you'll have uh, far less difficulty down the road. And we, if more parents had done this and were doing this, we wouldn't be seeing the kind of rebellion against proper authority that is commonplace in our day. And it's, I think it's also a call to parents, you know, seeing that um, God has called my children to obey me. Boy, how mm. serious do I want to take my uh, direction to them, that I'm not uh, calling them to do things that they cannot bear, right? That mm-hmm. um, I'm I'm leading them and teaching them in love with patience and clarity, with discipline and correction, uh, with encouragement. And when I fall short, you know, my kids are smaller. I got nine and nine and down, six of them. But if, if dad and mom 
error. If we sin, we need to get down there and tell them that we're sorry. And all of this uh, done with tender affection while upholding this fifth commandment, showing them the goodness of it. One connection to Christ that comes to my mind is the way the Lord Jesus Christ has uh, upheld this commandment for us. I think of him in the garden as his father has called him to go to the cross. And at that mm. moment, Jesus Christ can say, not my will, but yours be done. He can trust and obey uh, his father. What a great picture that is for us. Amen. Amen. You have been listening to the Sword and the Trowel podcast with Jared Longshore and Tom Askell. This podcast is produced by Founders Ministries. For more information, visit www.founders.org. To hear more from the Sword and the Trowel, you can follow Founders on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or by subscribing to our email list at www.founders.org.